We're back in Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 45. On the back of the review is some notes. You can also go to Version and at our live events, find the church at Indian Lake. And we have the points in the notes preloaded there. As I was thinking about Family Sunday, I, I reflected a few minutes about uh, my experience as an elementary kid. And I did a lot of stupid stuff, a lot of dumb things. And this is one of the dumbest. It was the end of my fifth grade year, and we were just days away from school being over. And on this particular day, it was the most beautiful day you can imagine in North Texas. Temperature was perfect. The wind was perfect. It was a crime to make an 11-year-old boy go to school. So some of us had an idea. We thought if enough of us skip school together, then we really won't get in trouble. And so with our brilliant 11-year-old mind, we decided after our parents dropped us off with school that a group of about 15 of us, it was a smaller school, there was only one sixth grade class, uh, a group of about 15 to 20 of us were all going to not go to class, but instead go to the other part of the property and play wall ball until school was over. Now, how in the world we thought we were going to play wall ball for seven hours and on the same property of the school, no one was going to notice us. I don't know. We didn't really think that far in advance, but for the first 20 minutes, it was fun. I mean, it was great. We, we, had, we were going to forget school and play wall ball, and, and we were having a great time. And finally, I don't know for sure to this day who it was, but somebody broke. Somebody's guilty conscience overtook the joy of that beautiful morning of wall ball and they broke away and when the first person broke then the second person broke and before i knew it 15 or 20 of us were trying to sneak back into our class the plan had failed miserably and so there was of course there was literally no way uh, for us to sneak back into class and we were caught and it was a big deal our teacher just went nuts and the principal went crazy and and here it was, we're sitting in this room, and, and the, the question comes, what were you guys thinking? Now, this is the point uh, where I would have liked to use my persuasive skills to, to give a great argument. My argument might have gone something like this. How in the world can you expect an 11-year-old boy to, to go to school on a day that's beautiful? Weather should dictate school attendance. I mean, if, if it does when weather is bad, right? I mean, when weather is icy and, and if there's floods, if there's tornado threats, they cancel school. So shouldn't the reverse be true, right? If it's a beautiful day, shouldn't, shouldn't we get some time off with that argument? I thought in my mind, well, that didn't work out. So I thought, well, maybe I could argue against uh, state policy. The state of Texas has, has, has uh, determined through the legislation that 187 days kids should be in school. That's way too many, right? I mean, why in the world should kids be in school 187 days? So I thought about giving that argument. But I knew that argument wouldn't work either. Then I thought about just uh, talking about the policy of the school and how stringent it was. But I, 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 and, and thought about saying, you know, why in the world would, uh, would fifth grade boys have to be in a class all day long? There's been decades of tradition of this. And this tradition is wrong. I thought that argument wouldn't last either. There are some times that you're just on the wrong side of the argument. And it really doesn't matter what your case is. It doesn't matter uh, how convincing you think your cause is. You have 
the state of Texas education board against you. You have your parents against you. You have your principals against you. You have decades of tradition of educating young men against you. And it doesn't matter how persuasive the argument is in your head, you're not going to win the argument. Now, just so you kids know here on this Family Sunday, uh, it was a bad deal. And, and the rest of my semester was miserable. I mean, there's one word that can describe the rest of my the rest of my school year, and that word is detention, because we were in detention. We missed every class party. We had to do extra work. That 20 minutes was not worth it. Bad idea, really bad idea. But you cannot argue when there is an authority way higher than you. There's no way in my 11-year-old mind that I was going to change all of the factors that had determined my education. And life's like that too. When we, have, when we have a higher authority in our life, there are some things we just can't argue. On April 15, adults, when, uh, when you are completing your taxes or whatever time you complete your taxes, there are just some dumb tax rules. They, they are unsound, but you can't argue those tax rules. So what do we do? We comply. When you go to a hospital and you enter that hospital, that hospital has rules of who you can see and when you can see them. And so we comply. When you try to rent a car, that car company has restrictions on who drives their car. Why? Because they own the car. They, decide, they can decide who drives a car. It has to be someone over 25. It has to be someone with a good driving record. Has to be whatever they decide. Why? Because they own the car. So you don't argue when you can't win the argument. You don't argue with someone, with someone with a much higher authority and power than you are. Now, this is the point in Isaiah chapter 45, the point of our text today. Because in this text, the prophet Isaiah, God is speaking to a couple of different people. He's speaking to a man named Cyrus, who we'll get to Cyrus in just a few minutes. And he's speaking to his people who existed those many hundred years ago. And then God's speaking to us today. So he's speaking to all three of those people. And here's what Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9 says it this way. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. That word strive is a really important word because it's a strong word for being angry. Woe to them who strives or to argue. That's a better way to put it. Someone who argues. Woe to him who argues or strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Let's look at this in a more clear translation, the New Living Translation, a thought-for-thought thought translation. What sorrow, this is the same exact scripture, just translated differently. Isaiah 45, verse 9 and 10. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does a pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? 
How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me that way? God here is making a declaration. He's making a declaration to a king named Cyrus who didn't even know him that he was going to use. And he's making a declaration to us today. And in a simple phrase, this is what I want you to get from this day. See, it's the title of my message and it's a thought I want you to take home. Stop arguing with God. Stop negotiating with God. Stop telling God he doesn't do it right. Stop mocking God or seeing God's work and acting as if God doesn't know what he's doing. He is big. He is different. He is lofty. He is high above us all. And when we begin, when we begin to argue with God and we begin to dispute God and in that first version that I read, when we begin to strive with God, it's an indication that we don't have him in the rightful place that he belongs. It's an indication that we don't see him as we should because we're arguing with someone with whom we have no right to argue. What, what this particular passage was talking about, it was talking about a broken off piece of clay. I want you to imagine just if a, if a pot was broken and you took a little piece of a pot, that little piece of a broken pot, that is us compared to the master designer. How can that little piece of a pot, that little broken piece of clay say to that which is forming the pot, you don't know what you're doing. You're clumsy. You haven't made this right because this jar has no handles. That's exactly what was happening in this passage. We don't have the right to say that. Now, earlier this week, I was, I was in the office and my longtime co-worker, Penny Sims, she came in for a couple of hours as she's in recovery. I'm glad she's here today. And Deborah Jackson, who's working at the church now, was there. And I played them a song and I made an observation about this song. And instinctively, Penny corrected me and told me uh, that I was wrong about this technical observation. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard me sing, but there's a reason why I'm over there like by myself, because I like to sing, but I need my space, right? On the other hand, Penny has been professionally trained. She's been doing giving piano lessons for 20 years, been leading worship for 20 years. So when she instinctively corrected me, I knew she was right and I was wrong because she has more authority in the area of music. You've had that happen to you before when you've been given your opinion about something and someone disagrees and then you find out that person's qualifications. End of argument, right? End of story. If someone knows more than you about a subject, they win. If someone's more qualified or experienced or educated, they win the argument. Can I tell you that does not end with our relationship with God. Here's the first observation that I, I want you to push back against arguing with God by this. Agree with God's position. Agree with God's position. We are trying to be God. We might not say that, 
we may not act that way overtly, but we're trying to control our life and our world and make our decisions. And then we strive with God or argue with God because we don't think God's doing his job. We don't think God's qualified. We don't think God knows what he's doing. But when we put God in the position that he's supposed to be in, and we understand that he has, he is high and lifted up. He is holy and separate. He's not just wise. He is the essence of wisdom himself. He is all knowing, all powerful. And when we forget that, we begin to diminish the influence of God in our life. We begin to diminish his influence when we don't think God should be in the position he is. And we think we should be God. We diminish his influence. I took over a staff position at a large church and they all told me, they said, you are going to love your secretary. You have a great secretary. And so I was looking forward to meeting this young lady and she was impressive. She was talented, organized, skilled at what she did, but she just wasn't just completely cooperative with what I was doing. I didn't really understand why she just didn't respond well to my leadership. And within a few weeks, she resigned and took another job. I later found out that the reason she wasn't responsive to me is that she was extremely close to the previous pastor that held my position. And she felt like that that person and his family should still have the job. She didn't think I should have the position that I had. Because she didn't think I should have the position, she didn't respond to my leadership. Now, you see where this is going with you? If you think you should be God, if you think you should be in control, if you think you should make all the decisions, you won't give God the respect. You won't respond to his voice. You won't put God where he should be. And you'll strive against God. You'll argue against God instead of submitting to him. I love what Isaiah revealed to us in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It's a fairly famous verse. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, here's a phrase I want you to see. High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. That phrase, high and lifted up, that's where our God is. He is high. He is lifted up. His position is above us. And that's why he can direct us and guide us and give us guidelines for our life and give us leadership. And that's why his timing is perfect. That's why his ways are mysterious. That's why we can't figure everything out because he's high and lifted up and we're not. But keep God in the position that he already is in your heart and mind because you have this, you have this very, very hard potential sometimes to, to reduce God. You, you don't reduce who he is in his essence, but in your perspective, God gets smaller instead of bigger in our life. Hey, let's treat our God as high and lofty and lifted up. For the last few years, uh, we have had this test in our family. Every time we go to a restaurant that serves queso, first of all, it's a real privilege, children, to eat queso because it's an extra $4. So never take for granted when your parents order queso. So on those special occasions that we order queso, in case you don't know what that is, that's a Spanish name for cheese. And so it is 
a big block of cheese melted in a bowl. I mean, how can you mess that up, right? I mean, you can, it doesn't, I don't care if it's Velveeta, Swiss, provolone, uh, pepper jack, just put some cheese in a bowl, melt it with some milk, it's going to be good, right? You would think, right? Not with one of my children. Because I have one of my, one of my children who will remain unnamed. He is a boy, so you have now two-thirds of a chance of knowing who it is. He orders this queso because he loves it. I mean, he could drink it like milk, and he orders this queso. But if there is a singular pepper exposed in the queso, I mean, if he sees a pepper, it is, it, it is over. I mean, the queso from that point on is not touched by him, is not eaten. And in fact, with his entire body, this young man protests the queso. He folds his arm and looks back and he just doesn't eat anymore as if the chef has a secret camera and wanting this little boy's approval. And if the queso is not exactly like he wants it, he's going to pout. Sometimes it's ruined our whole meal or his whole meal because it has to be exactly, exactly right. It's not enough just to order the item. The item has to come exactly the way the boy wants it. Now, here's my second point, and we'll get back to the case. So is this, it's order not to argue with God. You have to agree with his position, but you have to agree with God's material. You got to agree with God's material. In this case, God was speaking to his people through a king named Cyrus. This king was from Persia. He was not Jewish. So he wasn't part of God's people. So if this was God's queso, Cyrus, the Persian king, would be the peppers. All right? He would be the undesirable part of what God presented. Often, this is what happens. God is moving in our lives because he is high and lofty. God is positioned in a higher place. He knows more about the situation than we'll ever know. God is wiser than us. And God is at work even when he's using something, someone, or a situation we don't like. God's still at work. Why? Because he's high and lofty. Because he's exalted. Because he's above us. In this passage, if you read, read down to verse 13, he'll talk about this King Cyrus who was going to come and judge God's people. And God was going to use him to advance his glory and advance his kingdom. But the people didn't like it. And so it is sometimes with us. God is at work, but it's not the way we expected, not the way we wanted, not the way we preferred and so we strive against God's material. We argue with God. Instead of trusting that God's at work, we say, God, if you were at work, this would not have happened. God, if you were at work, I wouldn't be dealing with this right now. God, if you were at work, this person wouldn't be in my life or this person would be in my life. Whatever the case is, we strive with God and we argue with God and here he has a bowl of melted cheese in front of us, and we don't like the peppers. We don't like Cyrus. The Jewish people were like, how can a Persian king be used by God? But God used even a man who didn't know him because our God's sovereign 
And our God works that way. And so it is that we have to trust that God's material, God's material, he chooses to use things sometimes we don't expect or don't prefer. Now, I love Play-Doh. How many in here remember playing with Play-Doh? That's something that's universal. I don't care if there's been the information revolution, new computers, new laptops, new tablets. You can't beat Play-Doh, right? In fact, I hadn't even thought about distributing Play-Doh to all the kids here. And then someone very wise said, you want to start picking that stuff out of the carpet? So Beth Barnett, you're very happy about this, right? That was a wise decision as our facility manager. So, but here's a great thing about Play-Doh is you can take Play-Doh and you can form whatever you want. Whatever you want to make with Play-Doh, you can make. You can make stuff that other people don't even recognize. But if it's to you, if you form that shape and if you said this blob is a basketball or this blob is the earth or this blob is whatever the case is, you determine what it is. Even if others don't recognize it, you're the maker. And you take that Play-Doh, you can combine the colors, you can take away, you can add, you can mold, you can shape. It's whatever you determine it to be. What a great lesson to us how our God, our God has the power and the authority to shape us, shape the circumstances of our life the way he chooses. And that's why we worship him. That's why we submit to him. Here's the third or fourth thing I want you to put down. Agree with God's creation. Agree with God's creation. And I I want us to look at Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, this is a, a really a companion scripture, a more famous scripture about the potter, the potter's hand, the potter's will, the clay. Jeremiah chapter 18, starting with verse 1. says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. So this is how God spoke to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his will. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. Think about that for a second. The jar, let's go back to that screen. The jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Can I just say this is that with God starting over is not a bad thing. You understand that? So you always think starting over is terrible, terrible. But starting over is not always a bad thing with God. Then the Lord gave me this message. This is to Jeremiah. Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to the clay? Here's a phrase I want you to remember. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. I want you to take your Bibles this afternoon. Even if you didn't bring it today, go underline that. Maybe write today's date down. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. We are in God's hand. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Let's go back to the first scripture in the ESV, uh, the very first scripture we read today in Isaiah 45, 9. Woe to him, that means watch out or warning to him who strives 
or argues with him who formed him. Now go back to the last slide in Jeremiah. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Guys, let's stop arguing with God. Let's stop striving with God. I know it's hard. I don't know your circumstance, whether this is a good time for you or a bad time, a hard time, a joyful time, a prosperous time. But all I know this, I know this, our God is high and lofty. He's in a position that's higher than us. And he's using a material in our life. He's using an unlikely source. It might be uh, like he used King Cyrus of the Persians to advance his will. He's using a circumstance, whether it's a success or a failure, whether it's a challenge, whatever it is, he's using it to form you, to form who you are. And he's making you into something special. He's making you into something special. I want to speak to all of our students in here. You know, I, I, I didn't really preach. I preach students just like I do to the adults every Sunday. But one of the things I want you to hear today, I want you to remember this, that God has made every one of you special. Students, children, don't think that someone is more special than you. God has made you special. He's made you unique. And he's forming you exactly as he wants to. That's why Psalm 139, this is a beautiful scripture. It's not in your notes, but we need to read it again. It says this, David saying this, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You are made great. You are made great, fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, I know you're not, you're not always gonna be the smartest. You're not always gonna be the fastest I know that, true. My poor kids have gotten my speed gene, which is not, nothing. And so in sports, I was never the fast one. You, you might not jump the highest. You might not shoot the best. You might not sew the best. I don't know who girls sew still. I don't know what you girls do, but I'm trying to think of something. Cardi says no, we don't. Uh, whatever the case is, that you're not going to necessarily be the best at everything. God didn't call you to be the best at everything. He called you to love who he made you. And, and you do the best you can to glorify him. Do the best to glorify him. But love who he made you. Benton, come on, you make your way up here. Love who he made you because he made you great. He made you uh, wonderful. He made you special. And that's a word he has for today. Can let's, let's pray together. I want you to pray with me.